what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. I'm Alan. This is Chris. Hello, listeners, loyal listeners. Chris, we're going to do something really, really just innovative and creative with today's episode. Okay. In keeping with the topic of our first review... Uh, We're going to do something kind of different with the podcast. Throughout this episode, the way we're going to record this, you're going to be able to listen to me and Chris age over the next 60 minutes of our lives. It's going to be pretty (laughs) radical because what's going to happen is you're actually going to be able to hear us develop as human beings. There may be points in the show where you kind of can tell there's different things going on in our life, but it's all going to blend together into this real cohesive experience that we think you're going to enjoy. I say whatever the equivalent of the Oscars are in the podcast world, you need to go ahead and sign us up for this because this episode is going to be stellar. So I'm going to start off just saying everything sucks. And then by the end of it, I'll have these deep things that'll put people to sleep. That's right. Because it'll be so like 60 minutes later, you have developed as a human being and we're going to see that. We're going to hear that progress over the course of the show. I'm really (laughs) excited about what we're doing here. Cool. Um, From that, you should be able to deduct that we're going to be reviewing uh, the latest film from Richard Linklater, his 12 years in the making film, Boyhood. And then we're also going to review a film, the latest in a long line of traditions of films starring major Oscar nominated actors wearing giant paper mache heads, you know. Part of one of those films again. Uh, the film is Frank. We're going to be talking about a little bit starring Michael Fassbender. After that, we're going to have a little bit of news. We're going to have some recommendations and um, maybe some more. We'll see right here on Foot Candle Films. This is another one of our all indie editions. We're going to see if we can go the whole episode, Chris, without talking about sequel, without talking about a big blockbuster, without okay. talking about science fiction. I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? Uh, it's, it could be really, it's that time of year. Where right now it's all kind of the smaller films are getting some attention sure. leading up to Oscar season. So today's episode, I think, is no exception. A lot of films to talk about in the smaller independent field. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our first one. Uh, this is the film Boyhood, written and directed by Richard Linklater. Hey, stop! Put the barrier. I don't wanna be your hero, you guys ready to have some fun? Yeah! yeah! about it. We can use the bumpers. You don't want the bumpers. Life doesn't give you bumpers. We have a new student joining us today. Hey, dude. Welcome to the suck. Who do you want to be, Mason? What do you want to do? The film Boyhood by Richard Linklater, as Alan mentioned, was filmed over about 12 years with the same cast. Mm -hmm. And as you can guess from the title, Boyhood kind of focuses on Mason growing up through this time and you get to see him go from roughly age five to about 18 or so. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and his parents are played by Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette. Mm-hmm. And Mason is played by a newcomer, obviously, because they picked him up when he was five. So <laughs> nobody had really heard of him. Uh, Eller Coltrane. So normally in movies, when you have kind of a coming of age story, they usually, if they you know span this type of time, they have several different actors play you know the character, and they have you know different events. 
So with this movie, you have literally the same kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan, what is your impression of this movie? Was it a gimmick and just kind of an experiment or did you feel like, and that that's what, you know, an impressive one, I guess, because it never, something like this had never been done before. Or did you find it to be more of a cinematic event and it actually, it was something more than just a curiosity? How it do you it transcended you? the concept, is right. what you're asking. And my answer is no. Okay. <laughs> I don't feel like it did. I feel like this was an ex- interesting experiment to watch. And I found myself enjoying watching it simply because of the concept. I liked watching these characters develop and how they showed that development over the years. But ultimately, I, I, I didn't care for the film because I just didn't walk away with anything. I didn't feel like it did anything for me. And if you had taken away the concept of the 12 years in the making and you had cast this or produced this as a, in a traditional means, meaning cast a younger actor for the age five through nine. Sure. Then, do, then get a this, teenager, a younger teenager. Yeah, yeah. This would have been a really pointless movie. I, I, I just I didn't feel anything from it. There are some things I really did like, I will comment on, but overall, I think if you're asking me if it rose above the concept, I'm saying no, it didn't. It was interesting to watch because of the concept, and there are parts of it I wouldn't mind watching again, but as a movie as a whole, it, it just didn't work for me. I, am I alone here, Chris? Or Because I, every critic in the world loves this film. I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. What did you think? Well, the way it felt to me... Um you are a big fan. You will talk about kind of his body of work, I guess, Richard Linklater, because specifically he's worked with Ethan Hawke before. He's yes. worked with him three times. Right. Um, he's worked in the, this Sunrise, Sunset, the sunset and Midnight. Trilogy yeah. or Sunrise Trilogy, yeah. And with that, you know, the, the point of those movies was kind of just a relationship between two people. And you see them fall in love and you see mm-hmm. them kind of come back together and you see like what happens when they have a family not Mm -hmm. to ruin that if you haven't seen it but that's still very broad strokes on that right and you get the feeling that it's kind of a lot of improvisational dialogue but because you're using two professional actors Mm -hmm. this ethan hawk and um, julie Julie delpy Delpy, Mm -hmm. i think it works because i think they must be good at improvisational stuff Mm -hmm. but they also have a kind of a command of the craft yes um so i think it works I am surprised that you and I seem to be on the same page with this. Really? And I think the reason why oh, is I, I think so you're a better. bigger fan of Richard Linklater than I am. I like him. Yeah. And I like the Before Sunrise trilogy. But because of the concept of this film, I thought it was going to kind of elevate. It was going to be – I like the Before trilogy, actually. I like it. And it makes me like it even more after seeing this movie. And this movie – I agree. To me, it doesn't escape the concept. Yeah. Now, I still think it is very admirable that yes. it was made. Absolutely. But it reminds me of something. I can, basically can sum it up in a way, not that we're trying to skip the review, because there's lots to talk about, about things we did like, things mm-hmm. we didn't like. But I appreciated it as art. I think as art, it succeeded. But as entertainment, it failed. That's a very good way of putting it together. And it's... Yeah. But, you know, the whole time, it basically was like, I felt like I was in a class, Mm -hmm. actually. And it's like, we're showing you how this is cool. This is what life is like. And even though it felt more authentic because you followed the same people, it was such a construct that it felt false. Yes. You know, it just, it just, and it shouldn't have, but it almost, it was like, it was like watching a documentary, but it was fake. Yep. And that that's what you feel like because you could see the people, you know, specifically the boy, you could see him growing up, but yet you know it's a movie 
So it just rang false. Well, and I think a lot of that has to do with the lead actor. I mean, uh, Eller Coltrane, I didn't think was really good. Really? Yeah. No, I I really didn't. was great. No, I didn't. I didn't get it, especially as he got older. His his dialogue, his, his, it it just, it sounded very, it was very scripted to me. Um, I didn't feel like he was where if you'd had an actor who could really be improvisational and kind of do what uh, Ethan Hawke was able to do in the Before Sunrise trilogy. I think it would have probably held this movie together for me a lot better. But you can't but you pick get, that at five years old. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> See, I'm very forgiving of the five through 12 age. You know, that's why the first half of the movie, I had no problems with his performance. But when he got older, got to be a teenager, you actually have to act you right. know, a little bit more. It really started to fall apart for me because it was very rehearsed, scripted language. It just seemed like it was a lot of very repetitive, what he was saying a lot of the times. Hmm. It just didn't work. And I think if you'd had a, somebody who was a really a good actor at that point who could really improv with the actors and really bounce off dialogue, we could have had, uh, we just could have had a little better uh, side on things with that. I, I, that was my feeling. I'm not saying everything hinged on that. Cause I know it's part of the art. You take a risk, you, you hire a five-year-old kid and you basically say, we're going to take the next 12 years of your life, you know, and re- film you. You're kind of rolling the dice, hoping he still wants to be an actor and is a decent enough actor in 12 years to do that. Um, so there again, from an artistic standpoint, I thought it was great, but his performance didn't really work for me. Now, can I tell you a couple of things that did really work well for me? Is that, Absolutely. can we do that first? And then well, I'll go into some other dislikes. I think, and I think in a normal film, which I, you know, this is definitely not a normal film because of like we've said, it's, yeah. it's an amazing accomplishment to be able to pull it off. And I think it was pulled off. It just wasn't as entertaining as I wanted it to be. Sure. But I think that's what made me in a normal film, let's mm-hmm. say, I probably would be a lot more critical of Coltrane, but I was impressed. You were a little more forgiving just because of the concept. I absolutely was. And I went in expecting, I honestly, I went in expecting him to be horrible because he wasn't horrible and he wasn't, he wouldn't know, but I thought he was actually really good. And I think maybe because my expectations were so low um, and we'll get into some things that we really liked about it, but I was impressed with how he was able to Mm. pull off some stuff. And I, you know, no, do I think he's, going to be a rising star going to have a lot of, you know, probably not, but yeah. you know, who knows you were, you were giving him a little more leeway because I, of the, sure. the the conceit of the film. I will say from an acting standpoint though, two, two performances I really did like were Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette. Sure. I thought both of them as the mother and father were excellent. Actually, any of the scenes with the two of them, I responded to very naturally. I thought it's a good example of two, two, uh, two actors that get it. They understand what they're doing. <laughs> Right. And you knew you knew going into this, if you'd seen the other yeah. Linklater films, you knew that Ethan Hawke would, oh, yeah. would get he it. He knew what to do. And this oh, is yeah. the best I've seen Ethan Hawke be. I, even, I, even outside of the before yeah, stuff. He was really good in those, but he also was playing a certain type of character. Here, we really got to see a much, much more, I thought, developed character over, over the 12 years. And I really liked watching his progression. And he kind of, he kind of, his character kind of beat some of my expectations or, or changed some of my expectations of where he was going to be as a character. Starts out in one place, kind of ends up in a different place by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And it made sense. It was like, okay, I get it. I buy that, that that character would develop in this way. And uh, he sold it. I really think it was the best I've seen him be in a film uh, that I've seen. And Patricia Arquette, I mean, I don't think she's ever worked with Linklater before, but, uh, she was really good, mm-hmm. and uh, she had a really powerful scene at the end of the film. I thought a kind of a, a little bit of an emotional breakdown scene that was really well done. Probably my favorite scene of the film, the one that still stands out at me as a 
kind of that film, that scene did kind of get me mm-hmm. where the rest of this movie didn't really get me. Um, so I will say those two, I was really impressed with their performances. You agree? I mean, is that, yeah, I, I was, I thought their performances were good. And actually, um, you know, and I, we've mentioned Eller Coltrane who plays Mason, the son. Um, I was actually also impressed with, oh, uh, oh, you no, weren't really I can tell you with Lorelai. Lorelai Linklater, uh, Linklater yeah. who was the director's daughter, and yeah. she plays the sister to Mason. Mm-hmm. You know, they're two, ba- they're two children, Mason and uh, Sam. Yeah. And um, there again, not that I thought she was like the best stellar actress ever, because she's, I don't think, professionally trained. This is the first mm-hmm. acting thing she's ever done. But there again, to get somebody, I think she is supposed to be three or four years older than Mason. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They, but a little bit older, but still to start her at this young age. Yeah. And there again, you're like, okay, I'm going to make this kid act. Even though it's my kid, I'm going to make this kid act and be committed to this for 12 years. Um, it's an impre- From an art standpoint, it's very impressive. Right. Absolutely. And I, there, were, there were moments of hers that I thought were, were good. Okay. Um, and I, I thought there again, I guess I'm giving her a little bit more of a pass Could than be. I would in any traditional film just because of the undertaking. Well, and I, I, unfortunately I had her performance in my dislikes. I thought, <laughs> okay. I thought hers as well as the, the, the young boys both were, I was very forgiving the first half of the film because they were younger and I expect younger actors to not quite gel as well. But by the end when they're teenagers or off to college, it was, um, I just didn't feel like their performances worked. And I think that's, I think both of those really caused me to lose a lot of connection to the film later in the film Hmm. because of that. Well, let's, you know, actually, this is kind of surprising because a film we were both anticipating, but we're actually kind of riding it pretty hard. And even though we start to talk about positives, we seem like we're drifting back into negative. So let's, let's, let's Let's try to hit some positives. Okay. Well, we can discuss the negatives, (sighs) but let's, Alan, tell me. Because actually, now that I, we've been discussing, I think you're actually coming out a lot more negative on the film than I am. Yeah. So I'm going to force you. Tell me some positives. I, I, <laughs> we already talked about the conceit of the film being fascinating to watch. And sure. I'm, I'm giving it that. Honestly, on a star rating, I'm giving it one whole extra star from uh-huh. what I would, would have rated it <laughs> simply okay. because of the concept. Okay. Okay. And I do feel like several of the characters we did see an evolution. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I'll go back to the mother and father character. Right. I really felt like their evolution was natural. The way they developed as characters was really well done. I honestly can, you can see the different points in their life where things are changing and things are happening. It was all very natural and very realistic. I bought all that. And I will say with the kids, I think their development as characters was really well handled. Now, maybe not the way they acted on those developments, but the actual development we saw them grow into as characters was well handled. And I liked seeing that progression. So most of my positives are just around the conceit as opposed to the actual film itself. Okay. Again, outside of Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette being just really great performances. That's, that's my positives. Okay. Well, let me, I can actually, I guess my positives, I can, I can nail down to some scenes without trying to spoil Mm -hmm. anything as much as we can. But the, there were moments, you know, the, the concept I thought was interesting. As entertainment, eh, not as entertaining, but there were moments that I really was able to take away and appreciate. The movie's two hours and 45 minutes. It is a long movie. So it's a long movie. Mm-hmm. So there were some moments, could I have used more? Yes. But moments that as a father, I can appreciate and kind of relate to. And as a boy, having you know, grown up, you know, I can yes. relate to. And I'll mention some of them. Um, there's a moment where the father is talking to the kids and asking how their days went. Mm-hmm. 
And the kids are gave very stereotypical kids answers. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, you know what? That's not good enough. When I ask, you know, he kind of goes on this diatribe about like, I want to, you know, know what's going on in your lives. And you're not like, and then the kind of, the kids kind of throw it back at him. Actually, Lorelai does. Mm-hmm. And I thought she did wonderful in this scene where she's like, well, dad, you know, you're not, you're not sharing your stuff either. You're just like barking orders at us. And he's like, okay, so you're just saying we should let this naturally happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed that scene. And yeah. I think in a way that also speaks to what the movie was about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to give you a lot of, even though it was artificial because it was a movie and not a documentary, it wasn't just going to give you these big moments. It was just going to kind of let stuff play out. And if it's there, it's there. It's not, it's not. I, I really liked that, that moment. And that had, it didn't have Patricia Arquette, but it had, you know, the yeah. father and the two kids in that scene. Right. Another scene, which I appreciated and I actually thought of, Mason, the guy who played uh, Coltrane playing Mason, did a really good job in this scene, even though I guess he didn't have a lot to do. Mm-hmm. But still, I thought he handled it well. Uh, it's a dark, there's a dark room scene where there's a teacher, Coltrane, or Mason's interested in photography. Mm-hmm. And he is pretty good at it. Yeah. And his teacher has this kind of, comes into the dark room, they have a kind of confrontation scene. Mm-hmm. And I like the way it was handled where, I felt it could have been typical, but yet I thought the teacher was sympathetic in saying, you're a good kid, you're talented, but you need to, you need to apply yourself more. Right, and sure. say, just saying that, it sounds like, oh, this is like a Karate Kid type movie. Or this, you know, mm-hmm. it, just, it sounds very stereotypical, but the way it was handled, I don't know. I just thought no, I, that was could, a good I could relate to it, and I thought it was good. And then something else that I could see could be irritating to people, mm-hmm. um, and I guess it wasn't irritating to me. But I guess it's because I actually liked a lot of the music. The way music was handled in this movie, um, I liked. A lot of the bands that were mm-hmm. used, they used the Flaming Lips. It was they a good used, soundtrack, they yeah. used Wilco. Um, they mentioned the Beatles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they used the Beatles. Um, and actually, the way, because it spans years, you find yourself, they don't use title cards. Right. They don't give you any easy accesses to, oh, this is this period in time. This mm-hmm. is this period. But music's are little are cues, and then they do mention. Obama running for office. Yeah, they, they tie in a few 9/11. current events. They that, do mention 9-11 yeah. happening at the very beginning, So, um, which was kind of strange because I actually happened to watch this yeah. on 9-11. So was that was kind of weird odd, for the yeah. film to start off with, and they reference it directly, and yeah. you're like, whoa. So I, I, those instances make it engaging and gave me just enough to hang on to. Okay. So, yeah, in in the moments you you mentioned, I thought were all very well done, and I, I'll add to that too. I thought there was a great scene, uh, father and son uh, taking a, a hiking trip, I guess, out, mm. kind of as uh, it's about two thirds of the way from the film. Okay, and it was a point where I really felt like the son was starting to open up a lot more to his father and have a really good, more adult dialogue with him. And I thought that that scene was well handled too. Those individual scenes, I thought. Just, were really well done, but as a, it just as a whole, it just it just whole. didn't fit together. You know, my big thing, Chris, when I, when I get to kind of my concerns with the film, and I already mentioned several of them scattered throughout, but the biggest thing for me is I just didn't feel like I took away anything from this film outside of the concept, outside mm-hmm. of the artistic side of the concept. And I understand in a stereotypical film like this, a Hollywood film of this, if you're going to depict a boyhood, a boy's growing up life, and you're going to have an abusive stepfather, and you're going to have this, and you're going to have that, and you're going to throw a lot of things in his path to kind of have to combat against. I know in a traditional Hollywood film, you throw in a little more drama, and you throw in more obstacles, and you try to make it more of a, at the end, the kid has kind of succeeded despite all that. Looking at 
Mason's life, the way it's depicted here. And I realize as an experiment, they're filming it as they go. So they're probably writing it as they go as well. Sure. His life outside of one really bad stepfather that, you know, had was a bad experience and absolutely no kid should have to go through that kind of uh, environment at all. Outside of that, his life turned out fine. <laughs> he yeah. ended up in a good spot. He, I never felt like I got a sense for how any of these things around him affected him. Right. He's kind of a blank slate in a way. Yeah. It never shows. A how did his mother's relationships with these various men affect him? I didn't really ever get a sense of how it affected him. I saw how it affected some of the people around him, but I never got a sense of how it affected him. How did his mother's career where she started from the bottom and actually worked her way up to a very prestigious career. How did that affect him? I didn't really get a sense for that. How did the moving around, they moved like three or four times in the film. How did that affect him as a kid? Because you know it's going to have an effect on a kid. I didn't get a sense of that either. He really was a blank slate, and it's almost like we were just viewing the world through his eyes. But I never really got a good sense of how it affected him. The last third of the film is he's closest to adulthood. He starts to talk a little bit more. You start to get a little more insight into who he is. But the problem by that point is that's when I thought the acting fell apart and it just nothing he said really resonated and really connected. So that's really, I mean, if I had to kind of sum it up, that, that's the big thing for me is I just never felt like I got anything out of this film. Hmm. If the point of the film was to say that, hey, here's a kid's life and it had some ups and downs, but overall, for the most part, it was a pretty typical kid's life. And if it was just more of a document to show us that okay, but I don't really understand the point. Not saying that there should have been more drama and there should have been more stuff. It's just outside of that, there's really nothing else to hang on to. Oh, yeah, that, that was, and that's my, that's my takeaway from it. Again, I, it's a two star film for me if it wasn't for the concept. The concept gives an extra star. So I'll give it three because I do think people ought to see it. <laughs> but yet I just, you know, if, if, it was, if this was done traditionally, there would be absolutely no reason for me to see this film. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I can I can see that. I think I I think I am a little bit higher on the film than you. Okay. Um, I'd probably go three and a half okay. stars. All right. But uh, yeah, I, I think I was expecting because I knew it was a movie. I was expecting a little bit more of a dynamic through line. Yeah. And I felt like there was a possibility for it, but then it wasn't really followed up. About mm. there's some psychology mentioning like Pavlov's dogs, mm-hmm. and Mason gets exposed to it two different times and then one time he's the one kind of bringing it up and talking about how we're like mindless drones or whatever and because that wasn't a little bit more developed i felt like it actually felt forced because it was like okay we're going to try to give you something to hang on we got to give him something with a personality that that can set him apart and you're right it felt completely forced every time he talked about those little rants it's almost like it was kind of coming out of nowhere it's like okay what where is this coming from? How are we supposed to believe that this is something he's developed over these years? It's almost like they got together this particular year to film and they're like, well, we got to have something in here now. We've got to have it pulled together. Let's, hey, let's go rant. with this path. Let's go with the whole Facebook privacy identity thing. And that's kind of where they went with. And I felt like it was really just dropped on us hmm. and there was nothing that came out of it. At the end of the day, he's still off at college having these other relationships. And I don't feel like that little uh, subplot impacted him one way or another by the end of the film i think too um with a lot of films there's a big impact to you on how they start like Mm -hmm. opening shots and there's a big impact to you on how they finish right and with this film you know the concept going in most people do because it's kind of hard to avoid what it's about Mm -hmm. 
the opening worked and like how it establishes the opening and everything that was very, that worked. Yeah. The closing to me just felt like, you know, it felt just like it kind of went out on a whimper. Yep. You know, I was expecting oh, it to be very powerful, like a big bang. And instead of going out with a bang, it just went out with a quiet no, whimper and just kind of like a very disappointing. Okay. Ending. After you've sat through a film for two hours and 45 minutes and you want to feel something, you want to walk away with something. I just, that, that ending, they could have pulled off the miracle ending and gave me something that's like, huh? Okay. Even though I had problems with the majority of the film, at least by the end, there's something something that makes me understand why I just sat through this last two hours and 45 minutes <laughs> other than to watch an interesting film experiment. Right. And there wasn't the ending. I thought I agree with you. is very disappointing as well. Yeah. Okay. So we both agree. The film is an interesting film to watch because of the way it was made and the construction of it. It is something you should see. I'm not saying people shouldn't go out and see it. I just think if you go into it with the idea that this is a film experiment, we're going to watch it as more of a film document as opposed to a piece of entertainment or something that we're going to walk away with as a changed person. It doesn't do that. Unfortunately, I've only seen this movie once, so it's hard for me to recall what was said in exact scenes or try to explain it. And I think I'll, I, you know, pretty much on the same page with you. And I think in a way, Linklater was trying to kind of get a get out of jail free card mm-hmm. because he came up with a concept and actually the scene that i like about the dark room the teacher actually says at one point they're going to people people out there that are working harder than you that are they're going to do better than you because they work harder they're also going to be people out there they're lazier than you but they're so much more talented mm-hmm. you've got to figure out how to make your own art and how to make it go- and so in a way i think it was kind of like linklater saying i'm a filmmaker mm-hmm. there are people out there who are much more talented than me but this this is something I'm undertaking. I'm attempting to make, not necessarily entertainment, but make art. And I, I don't know, it, that scene to me spoke and I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to appreciate this as art, yeah. but I don't appreciate it as entertainment. Okay. But it was, it was an interesting That's a good way of, to look at that scene. I, I, didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but I, I could see the point. Like in a I greater sense, this yeah. is what he was trying sure. to say. So. Well, that's Boyhood. That is, uh, you know, it's, it's still playing in select theaters. I know it's going to be talked about come Oscar time, uh, you know, just because I think the concept is going to carry it to, to that kind of level of discussion. To, I, w- you know, I, would, I would hope that it would at least be nominated. And the question is, does it deserve to even be nominated as Best Picture? I don't know. But you can't get director if you're not nominated as Best Picture usually, right? Well, this, no, it can, you can't can, speak out a Best happen. Director. Uh, without, without being that. nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how it would probably go because Best Picture, obviously. You know, but um, I think as director, just idea-wise, I think. I will say I, I would be in support of Ethan Hawke for an actor nomination because sure. I do think he's that good in this. And uh, so anyway, I, again, we recommend you see it, <laughs> but just understand going in our perceptions, which seem to be very different than most of the, the critics out there. I mean, this is getting almost universal praise. True. And I'm just having a hard time giving that. So anyway, that's Boyhood. Uh, let's move on to our second review, which is a, a very different type of film. And uh, we're going to be talking about the film starring Michael Fassbender in a giant paper mache head. <laughs> he plays Frank. How to describe Frank One, two, three, four. Well, there's the head, of course. He never takes it off. You think it's weird? Would it help if I said my facial expressions out loud? Welcoming smile. Delighted look. But what goes on inside the head, inside that head? I find this inspiring. Is music. Something is pressing something is! 
People should know about you. You should be famous. Flattered grin, followed by a bashful half-smile. Stop saying your facial expressions out loud. It's extremely annoying. In the movie Frank, Chris, we have John. John is played by Domhnall Gleeson, who um not as familiar with other things he's been in. I don't think I've seen much that he's been in. You saw the film I think he was in last year. The Was it About Time? Yes. Which yeah. you liked. I did. you thought he was good in Actually, that. Actually, it so. was a recommendation on a previous show. Yeah, so, yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. So he stars as a musician, or at least someone assuming to be a musician, uh, <laughs> that hooks up with a very eclectic band with an unpronounceable name. I'm not even going to try to say the name of their band. It's the Saren Proofs, maybe? We'll say. Saren Proofs. Saren Proofs, yeah. <laughs> Led by the mysterious Frank, the lead singer that wears a giant paper mache head all the time. And he's played by Michael Fassbender, which, you know, an actor that we both have a lot of uh, a lot of admiration for. After some rough initiation, John has aspirations to see the band become big, while the other members, especially their temperamental and uh, very unusual keyboardist Clara, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, want them to stay small, unique, and somewhat unnoticed. Uh, along the way, John becomes very fascinated with Frank and his musical abilities but also with whatever must have taken place in his past to cause him to be such a gifted artist and now wear this giant head all the time. So we've got this musical band crafting thing, but there's also a lot more going on here, especially as it hinges on the character of Frank played by, uh, played by uh, uh, Michael Fassbender. So Chris, when we're introduced to Frank, you know, not, you know, in the first 20 minutes of the film Mm -hmm. without talking about what we do learn about Frank, Upon watching just the first half of this film, were you grabbed enough by this film to want to know more about Frank? Or could you have cared less about anything that we learned about him later on in the film? Because so much of this movie hinges on whether we're as fascinated with Frank as John, this aspiring musician, is. Right. Um, I, I was fascinated by... I mean, it, it was hard for me not to because I knew it was Michael Fassbender the whole time yeah. um, parading around in a giant paper mache head. Um, so I, I was, I was fascinated by that character and learning more about him and his musical genius. Mm-hmm. I will say that I wanted more performances. I could see that. Um, the performances were very spa- uh, sparse. Right. And, and um, you know, in a, in a movie that's about, you know, John is an aspiring musician. He joins this band that's already formed. So I wanted to see more performances. The first introduction you get to frank is kind of like a rushed performance where john's kind of brought in and said okay go you're now the yeah. keyboardist you know work with this man and we get a little bit but then it kind of self-destructs and falls mm-hmm. apart <laughs> um so we get a we get kind of a one song montage of making a song when they're recording in the middle of the film and you're right beyond that and then there's a closing song right that's about it from right. a performance standpoint that that was a little bit of a letdown i agree Right. And I expected, you know, going in, I expected a little bit more, uh, more music or music yeah. being, yeah, performances, live performances. Sure. And I uh, didn't, didn't get that. So I, that, that let me down. Um, the one part that I was surprised that they spent as much time, but then it didn't seem to go anywhere mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> was the, the time, you know, he is brought on by the band and they go off to record an album. Right. And they I, go get a little cabin out in the woods, kind of isolated from everybody else, and to record an album for, gosh, how long was it? It was like... It was a while. It was a little, at least a year, right? And um, that period of time was very... That portion of the film, which takes a big chunk mm. out of the film, um, I guess it's kind of the middle third. But right. It seemed a lot longer than that. That 
I found myself being very antsy Mm -hmm. and uh, very bored with a lot of what was going on because Mm -hmm. they weren't, because it was handled, I guess, in a montage and it it didn't give me enough to kind of hang on to of, oh, this is the musical genius of Frank. This is what he's able to do. Or here's a song that they've actually completed Mm -hmm. or... I don't know. It was just like it was like reading the cliff notes and not getting enough meat on the bone. Well, that's actually one comment I had on the film as well. Overall, I like the film. I am saying I agree with you on that that particular focus point. Is that John is somebody who becomes fairly just enamored and obsessed with Frank in a way, thinking Frank is a musical genius, and he really wants to know what may have happened to Frank to give him such inspiration to be such a good musician. But we never really get a sense of Frank as a great musician as much. So it's hard for us to buy John's enthusiasm for him when we don't really see it ourselves. And we don't really because we don't get to see a lot of the live performances and we don't get to see we don't get to. Yeah, we don't get to see or hear Frank's genius. So, yeah, we can see he's interesting because, yes, he is walking around with a big paper mache head. Yeah. But other than that, we're like, why is he so vested in this? Right. We can't get a sense. Yeah. So. That, that is a disappointment for me with the film. I will say, though, overall, I think the likes for me outweigh the dislikes. Um, I do think Fassbender was great. I think he was fun to watch, even though most of his acting had to be in tone of voice in physical acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think he was really fun to watch, and I wanted more time with Frank on the screen. Um, anytime we got over to the other band members – he kind of lost a little interest. It's like, I really just wanted to see Frank and just give me more of him. Um, True. I thought Donald Gleason was, was good as a role as John. I mean, he's kind of our narrator. He's our, mm-hmm. he's our guide through this, through this film. And, uh, I, I like the way they crafted this character where he's, his dependence on social media for self worth was right. both funny, but also sad to kind watch at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's your typical, I'm going to, I'm going to tweet about everything I'm doing, even though I'm not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I would rather us be big and go play South by Southwest than be necessarily good, you know? So that's, that's a, it's an interesting character. And I think he was, he was kind of fun to watch, but also you felt really bad for the kid. And, uh, even with the way the film ended, it was, you know, not the best for him. And I think, uh, but it was also kind of self-deserved, I think for the kind of character he was throughout the film. Well, and I think one of the things that's admirable about the film to me is the the story arc. You have mm-hmm. a struggling artist, you know, in John. You know, he wants to be a musician. He wants to do this. He then gets with this band and, you know, the whole South by Southwest thing. But how things end up playing out, I feel like was kind of atypical. Mm-hmm. How things, And I, I liked where the, I really liked how the film closes. And... um I got to give that, I guess, to the, the writer director and to the, you know, it just, I really liked how the, the story closed and the, you're talking about the closing scene. Well, the yeah, scene. Well, the closing scene and just kind of how things ended considering that you're typical, where the characters are in the end, right? Yeah. Right. Where the characters are, where everybody ends up. And the closing scene is probably one of my favorite last scenes in a long time. Mm. And, and you didn't I, think it was the slightest bit cliche. No. Okay. All right. No, I like the ending a too. A lot of it has to. I do, liked it. I just, a lot of it yeah. has to do with how I feel like it's atypical. Mm-hmm. Um, their last performance that you see, yeah, could not be a more atypical last performance. True for, for me. I mean, you setting could not, song, everything is very atypical. And that but, song, yeah. the I, it's a song called "I Love You All," mm-hmm. um, that Frank 
performs with the band and just how that's handled, how the band members are playing, how the song starts. I mean, it's just, and then John, who we've kind of followed through this movie, his part in that last performance and how he ends his part in that Mm. last performance. I just, I really respected it. And the, even though it's not, I can say it's not one of my favorite movies of the year, Mm -hmm. but that is definitely one of my favorite last. You talk about, we've just recently talked about boyhood in the review before this going out with a bang. This film ended with a bang for me. I I agree. I I started to have some concerns with the film in the latter third. I think after the band um, got done with their recording session and kind of went out into the world for a little bit and some things happened and transpired. I thought that part was really rushed and a little chaotic, and I wish we'd had more time to breathe Mm -hmm. in that area. I do like how it ended as well. Some could say it's a little, even though it's a typical ending, it's still the idea of a band coming back together and much more of that, a little cliche-ish with it. But you're right. It had enough of a unique style to it that it worked. And I do I do like the ending overall. I'll say the use of humor I thought was good throughout the film. I mean, it wasn't, this is not a slapstick comedy, but the use of humor was well done, although there was also, it was also balanced by some very dark moments as well. Sure. I think the tone was all over the place, but I think that's a good thing because I think the band is also all over the place. That's what we're supposed to kind of come with is one minute it's kind of hilarious, the thing they're saying or doing. The next minute, you know, somebody just died. I mean, it's just, it's a very chaotic tone, but it worked for the film. I I feel like it worked for the film too. And I think, um, I do not hold this against the filmmaker, but just how it's being marketed. Um, This movie is available on iTunes. That's how you and I saw it. Um, It's out in theaters as well. I think limited release, but you Mm -hmm. can... On demand, I think, but definitely iTunes. Um, and it's being billed as a comedy. Yeah. And that is a... That's that probably is not a, a good way to do it. No, no. no. It's, it's a drama. It does have some funny things in it, but it's... Well... You know, I, I think the tone, like you're saying, is kind of all over the place, but I think it was meant to be, and, yes. it, and it works. This is it one of the few work. times when a shifting tone all over the place, I feel like, works because it's kind of musical genius and creativity and ups and downs, and I think it's perfect, but... Yeah, thinking of this as a comedy, no, or don't, it's don't not, do that. not selling it very well. <laughs> no. We're not going to spoil the ending at all because it does take a little bit of a turn. We do learn some things that kind of cast a different set of light on the whole movie as a whole, I think. And we're not going to talk about what those are. But in general, that tone shift, Chris, did that also work for you? I mean, do you feel like it was handled appropriately? Because it does turn into a fairly serious drama with a serious commentary on a subject matter and uh it kind of if, if if you didn't know about it you may feel like it just kind of hits you like a ton of bricks i don't know do you feel like that whole tone shift worked for you i do okay i think i feel like it did work um unfortunately i had heard this film talked about and mm-hmm. so it maybe didn't hit me as much as it yeah. could have unfortunately you and i heard the same review where it kind of got spoiled what was happening. And so you're kind of prepared for that. I think going into not knowing where it's going, uh, we probably would have enjoyed the film even a little bit more because I think that would have really been more of an impactful move as opposed to what we saw, which was we kind of expected it to go a certain direction. So, so I do recommend watching this film, go into it pretty naive, really don't read up about it. Don't, don't go too deep into your, uh, reviews or other analysis and we're trying to keep it as surface as we can here on that um overall it's a, it's a movie that had me busting out laughing in some spots but also <laughs> had some moments of real 
deep thinking and it had some serious messages to convey. So I do agree with you. The marketing is probably not the right way. You see the trailer for this and it just looks like a oddball comedy, but there's a lot more to it than that. And it ended up being, I, I will say it worked for me, but was I surprised by how serious the film was in part yes absolutely mm-hmm. that did and it's because i was expecting more of a comedy you know yeah. and a musical mm-hmm. type thing and so yeah it, it did kind of surprise me i'm wavering between I'm, I'm thinking i'm at three and a half stars maybe i could creep up to four at the last minute if i think about it a little bit more it's kind of the neighborhood i am on the rating on the star level where are you with this chris you know i i don't like it when i we review two movies back to back and I'm of different, seemingly of different levels of enthusiasm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. you, know, you judge each movie on its own worth. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm three and a half on this one yeah. as well. That's, so. I think three and a half is a good star rating for a film like this. It's a good film. Yeah. We do encourage people to check it out, but uh, it could have been a lot better. Right. Could have had a lot more to it. I do think, uh, I agree with you. I think the recording in the cabin, that whole drama spent too much on drama and not enough on creating the music, which is what I really wanted to see. Right. And it also went on too long and that caused the beginning and the end to feel a little more rushed. I, w- I would agree. Yeah. It needed a little more time to breathe on both ends. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Good. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's Frank and boyhood. Neither film we are over the moon about. I mean, we're kind of <laughs> lukewarm reviews. I'm a little more negative on boyhood and a little more positive on Frank. Chris is kind of middle ground on both films, you know, both are ones to check out and see. Just uh, don't go in to expect to have your life changed by the experience. Um, so when we come back from the break, Chris, let's hit a few uh, movie news items, and then we'll cap off the show with our recommendations for the episode. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Hi, I'm 2012 Greater Hickory Kia Classic winner Fred Funk. Please join me at Rock Barn Golf and Spa for the 12th Annual Greater Hickory Kia Classic October 13th through the 19th. See Michael Allen defend his title against two-time Masters winner Bernard Longer, two-time Hickory winner Jay Haas and Kenny Perry, Champions Tour rookie Lee Jansen, and a fantastic field of Champions Tour players. Weekly grounds badges are just $50. Individual tickets are $20 per day with proceeds going to charity. Get your tickets today at greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm Alan. Over there across from me is Chris. Hello. We just finished reviewing the films Boyhood and Frank earlier in the show. So for whatever reason, you're listening to this episode like halfway through. <laughs> um, you can go back and listen to those, although I don't think that's what most people do. But uh, you go back, obviously. And, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the two films as well. That's one thing I didn't mention at the end right. of the reviews. If you have some thoughts of your own, if you really think we're off base, please tell us that we missed something with Boyhood that maybe made it connect a lot better than we, we kind of felt like it did. Please let us know. You can reach out to us at... Uh, info at the mesh.tv. That's the email address. Info at T H E M E S H dot TV. You can go on our, I mean, gosh, we got a Facebook page for Foot Candle Film Society. Mm-hmm. We've got the website for the mesh.tv. Uh, a lot of different ways to reach us. So just go and uh, reach out to us. We, 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 we can get connected anyway, any way you choose there. So, Chris, we normally like to throw out some movie news items, talk about films that are either in production, maybe one's about ready to come out that we think are interesting, maybe some choices in directors, actors, whatever may be coming around. So let's uh, kind of go back and forth with a couple movie news items and see what we have to say about them. Okay. Chris, I'll be the first to admit my memory when recording these episodes is not always the best in the world. That's where we rely on our intern. That's right. There's a lot of times I will say, <laughs> did we talk about this or did we talk about that? And I'm sometimes wrong, but I'm betting 
that when we talked about musical biopics many episodes ago, <laughs> and I asked you, Chris, what would be some interesting musical biopics you would like to see? Oh, I know one that I said. Okay. And I, I, if you have found out that this is being made, I'm going to be like, are you serious? Because mm-hmm. I haven't heard it. I'd be surprised. One of the ones that I, we have talked about, you know, the ones that are coming up, Jimi Hendrix, and yeah. we talked about, you know, the James Brown, which we came out and neither one of us ended up seeing. No, we didn't. Um, but one that I would love to see mm-hmm. is um, Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Pink Floyd. Did yeah. you mention Brian Wilson? Oh, um, no. no. See, that's why my memory's failing me because I thought no. you did. Maybe I did. Maybe yeah. I did. I, w- I wouldn't I mind think I'm, seeing I think I'm that. remembering that wrong. I wouldn't mind seeing that one. Well, though. good, because you're going to have a chance. Okay. Um, Love and Mercy is a film that just played at the Toronto Film Festival. Okay. Uh, it's directed by Bill Pol- Polad, which I've never heard of him and, and don't recognize anything on his credits. But it's a Brian Wilson biopic, but it's kind of interesting in that it's played by two different actors. Hmm. So they two didn't different follow phases. one actor for 12 years? No, they did like, not. Okay. Uh, two different phases of Brian Wilson's career. Okay. In their inner cut. So it's not like first half of the film is the younger Brian Wilson, then second half is the second one. It's their inner cut somehow to try to show some, some balance between the two phases of his life. Hmm. Paul Dano plays Brian Wilson during uh, the Beach Boy days mainly around the recording of Pet Sounds. Huh. Okay? okay. Then you've got John Cusack playing Brian Wilson in the 80s when he's really starting to struggle with mental illness. Huh. Supposedly the film, the two time periods are intercut, kind of comparing the two actors' take on Brian Wilson against each other. I, I'm intrigued. I, I'm really so curious. Do you, know, do you know if it only does those two time periods and won't get us out of the 80s to like current day or anything like that? My understanding is it's just those two time periods. Huh. It's Pet Sounds, you know, which is really the seminal Beach, Beach Boy albums and Brian Wilson's influence was heavy there. Right. But supposedly at that time you start to get the sense that there may be some mental illness issues. But then you see the 80s where he is really deep into dealing with them. Hmm. So I think it sounds like an interesting biopic. You know, musical biopics are very, very sensitive nature for me. I mean, I'm generally down on most of them because they're very cliche and you just prefer traditional. Documentaries. I, exactly. If you're going to tell me the story of somebody, I'd rather see the real stuff. Unless there is a kind of unique way of perceiving it. And I think this sounds like something that would be a little different. Hmm. So uh, it did play at Toronto Film Festival. Uh, so hopefully we got a chance to see it maybe in the next few months. Okay. I thought it sounded pretty interesting. It was Love and Mercy. Love and Mercy. Okay. Yep, that's the name of the, 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 name of the movie. Chris, what do you got for us? Well, okay. Alan, I'm going to describe a little bit of a film. Mm-hmm. And I want you to tell me if you're interested. Okay. And then I'm going to then tell you a little bit more about it. All right. Okay. There is an upcoming spy spoof comedy okay. called Grimsby that okay. is uh, coming out. And this was actually based in an actual town, I believe, called Grimsby. That's Grimsby. Over, that's over in England. And um, it portrays it as uh, this small town where, like, you know, the people are kind of backwater. But then something happens and it's a crime and, like, an investigator comes in and is trying to figure out what's going on. Kind of sounds a little bit maybe like a Pink Panther type mm-hmm. film in a okay. way. All right. Except instead of stealing like jewels or something, it's like trying to figure out something in a small town. How interested are you in that? Um, maybe just slightly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't have a whole lot to it yet. So. No, that's true. Um, but a, a spy kind of like comedy thing, and it's British, so that makes me a little interested in it. Okay. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. see what you think about this. Add another layer to this. Well, this, 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 is, this is the thing. Yeah. Um, 
which I don't know how you feel about him. I don't think we've been on record saying how we feel about this person. Okay. So the person who is the investigator who plays the main role yep. is Sasha Baron Cohen. Hmm. Okay. And the town that he uses, apparently it's done in a, it is, you know, fictional, but yet some of the stuff he does, he catches reactions of people when he's being this so he's investigator. Pulling a little he's, bit of a, um, a little bit of a Bruno. Yeah. And then like, um, what was the other character he first oh my did? Gosh, what was the first one? I, Borat. Borat. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so he's, he's using a little bit of that, but it still has this, you know, it's this other complete fictional line of him being like an investigator and kind of doing like this goofy trying to figure out what's going on. You well, have this look like, no, I'm done. I'm done well, with I'll Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, I, I admired Borat. Okay. Again, much like Boyhood, I admired it for its ambition and what it tried to do on film. Mm-hmm. The blending of interacting with real people, but portraying a character and getting real reactions and stitching it into a storyline, I thought was really well done. Mm-hmm. Overall, I enjoyed the film Borat. Uh, I didn't see Bruno. Okay. I did see The Dictator, which I Ooh. thought was horrible. Okay. Really, really bad movie. And that movie was had it, it was a, it was a true combination. Some stuff yeah. was just outright fictional yeah. with actors and all that stuff. Oh, and yeah. It wasn't. And then, okay. It was a much more traditional comedy, but it just didn't work. Okay. Um, so I'm very hit or miss on the guy. Uh, I thought he was really good in Sweeney Todd. Um, I did too. I thought actually. he was okay in Hugo. So, you know, in some smaller bit parts, I think he's fine. I don't know if I'm really interested in seeing him carry another film. Mm -hmm. But again, if he kind of uh, taps into that same comic brilliance that that there were signs of in Borat, uh, I could be okay with that. Yeah. And one of the the reasons this film came onto my radar was apparently the town that he was in. A lot of people, I guess now that the film is kind of wrapping up and maybe people have seen some rough cuts the town is really, really upset about it mm. because it shows like apparently everywhere in the town, like pe- drunks are passed out on park right. benches. There's yeah. like graffiti everywhere. Apparently there's a scene where mothers are handing out cans of beer to like little kids playing in the nice. street. And it, you know, it's satirizing, I guess, but some people are just like, it's just awful. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there again, Mr. Cohen stepping on people's feet. <laughs> or well, toes and, and, stuff. and that's, you know, if you're, if you're showing something that's really going on, you're depicting it. And even if you're building it into a fictional narrative, I, I still think there's something to be said for that. So, um, I, I'm mildly curious, but it's one of those <laughs> films I'd have to hear people that have seen it kind of come out and saying, yeah, it's actually a good movie. Otherwise um, you'll just kind of pass it by. Yeah, I think I, so. I, I think he is a talented comedian and actor but i think he was kind of a one-trick pony in the sense of coming up with his own material yeah but when he's given material like hugo or i agree sweeney todd he almost outshines johnny mm-hmm. depp in that role yes. i mean johnny depp does a really good job too but he is up there with him he I is agree. you know on an equal footing so yeah i i think the days of his own material maybe have passed <laughs> could be could be we'll see um, I'm going to go back to the Toronto Film Festival just because that, that is just now wrapping Wait, you up. You got to go and you didn't invite me and now you're going back. Oh, you're just talking about just bringing Yeah, it was oh, virtually okay. there. So thanks <laughs> okay. to Variety Magazine and uh, <laughs> okay. websites and all. Uh, but Variety actually did a little posting of the seven career reinventions that they've seen at Toronto. In other right. words, established actors that maybe have been a little 
little down on some good quality work for a while, but now because of something coming out in Toronto at the Are film you festival. Are Birdman again? No, no I'm not. Okay. No, I'm not going to mention Birdman again, although I'm still very excited about that film. But three, I'm going to mention three of them because I think three okay. of them are ones I'm kind of curious about myself. Okay. Uh, first off, Reese Witherspoon. Okay. Now, here you have an actress that, you know, she got, and did she win the Oscar for uh, Walk the Line playing June Carter Cash? I think um, she did, but Joaquin was nominated but yeah. didn't win. Is that how that panned out? I think out? so. I think she okay. won. But that was kind of her high point. You know, it was like at that point, she was top of the world. Didn't really do a whole lot that really got a lot of notice after that. I think the, the next thing that I, the only other thing I remember that really stood out for me was her small, small role in Mud. I thought oh, it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, hasn't really been a whole lot. Um, well, she's got a film coming out this fall called Wild that right now is getting all this rave attention. Hmm. It's uh, she's playing writer Cheryl Strayed, who's a former heroin addict who goes on a 1,100 mile hike of the Pacific Crest Trail. And this is based on a true story. It is absolutely based on the memoirs of of this girl. Uh, It seems like it might have a little bit of 127 hours feel to it, although. I get the sense it's more the turmoil is more in an interpersonal turmoil as opposed to a physical. Like she's not stuck in a rock or anything, but she is having to go through a lot of her own soul searching during this 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 so hike. kind of like 127 hours crossed with into the wild. Yeah, I okay. could see that. So it's getting a lot of great accolades for her, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already saying right now, best actress, nod, everything really? else. So, you know, I think she can be a good actress. So I do agree that if they can, if she can get kind of restarted on some new stuff and not dip into the dumb romantic comedies Sweet again. Sweet Home you know, Alabama? Yeah, I'll hold that her, kind of stuff. that against her for some time. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, that's just, that's rough. Uh, so that's one I'm kind of interested in hearing more about. Okay. Um, Naomi Watts. And you wouldn't think Naomi Watts needs a career reinvention. But if you look at what she's done the last few years, it's not been that much. She was in The Impossible Right, she was, which okay. got a little bit of attention for her work there. Um, she was in that Diana movie, which my understanding was is a pretty bad movie. Oh, right, didn't work at all. I've seen her in a few other films that really went straight to video, didn't really get a lot of theatrical acclaim. Okay, well, she's got actually two films coming out this fall that sound like she's kind of pushing herself a little bit, which is good. She's doing a Raggedy Ann biopic. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Uh, while we're young, which is, uh, with Ben Stiller and that is directed by who's the guy that did Greenberg and did uh, squid and the whale. Uh, Noah, uh, Bombach. Noah Bombach, I believe, uh, while we're young, she plays Ben Stiller's, uh, wife. They're a middle-aged couple, but they become obsessed with a younger couple that they meet that moves in nearby okay. and find themselves kind of try, I think in a way trying to be younger uh, along with them. Uh, huh. Supposedly she has a very showy part. She's very kind of manic and, you know, doing it, a lot of things to try to could it also be a resurgence for Ben Stiller. It could be, you know, Ben okay. Stiller is somebody, you know, when he does some of the more creative, interesting work, it's good. It's just most of the time we see him now, it's in the really kind of, Hollywood formulized stuff. He's doing a night at the museum. What are they up to? Three, Six four or something. Million. Yeah. He, and I was really disappointed and I thought critics were just hard on it. And then I saw it and I'm like, no, this film really wasn't that good. The secret uh, life Mitty. of Walter Mitty. Yeah. Um, because despite all the showiness of the previews and how it looked very formulaic, I was like, you know what? I just, there's gotta be something there, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. No, no. no. <laughs> so. Well, she has this role coming up in that Baumbach film, and then okay. she's also has a supporting role in the Bill Murray film Saint Vincent. Okay, uh, where she plays a pregnant Russian prostitute. 
Excellent. So, you know, they're saying, again, out of the film festival that her roles in these are really good and she's really pushing the boundaries. So could be we see some interesting roles from her in the next few months. The last one to bring up, I'm the most curious about, Al Pacino. Okay. Think about the last good movie Al Pacino was in. Wow. And just for reference, Al Pacino was in Jack and Jill with Adam Sandler not too long ago. Uh, You know, I admire him as an actor. But the last good thing most people would probably say would be Sin of a Woman. Which was back in the like early 90s. Right, which I, I thought that movie was eh. I liked a lot of his earlier work, like his stuff in The Godfather, mm-hmm. Serpico, stuff like oh, yeah. that. Um, his most, you know, yeah, it, it's been a while mm-hmm. since I've seen him really. And not because I don't think he's a good actor. I just think, I think all, I would imagine, I know he's a good actor. I think a lot of his stuff he does that's really good is on the stage. He's yeah. like, it's also a really good stage actor. Sure. And so when he does screen stuff, I feel like it's just, it's fun money. He's yeah. doing it because he thinks it's fun, and it probably is. Yeah, you know, which so. he really has not done much at all in Something a really there. long time good. Well, he's got two films coming out this fall okay. that both sound pretty interesting. Uh, one is called The Humbling, where he plays an aging actor who embarks in an affair with a lesbian. It's directed by Barry Levinson, who I really like Barry Levinson back in the day. I mean, Barry Levinson did The Natural. He mm-hmm. did uh, Rain Man. Um, he did God. Flight, didn't he? Was that Barry Levinson? Uh, no, that was Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Barry Levinson back in the 80s and early 90s was the man. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to see him doing another film now. He embarks on an affair with a lesbian. Yeah. Okay. So we'll leave that there. I don't okay. know where that goes from there. That's all like, I know from okay. a summary. But <laughs> sure, supposedly, sure, no, that's fair. supposedly it's a very good performance and he, he puts in on this. Hmm. And then along with that, he's also got another film coming out called Manglehorn, which is directed by David Gordon Green. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. David Gordon Green starring alongside Holly Hunter, and he plays a locksmith that never got over the love of his life. That's all I know about the film. But that is, David Gordon Green did not write the film, but he directed huh. it, and it's coming out this fall. And supposedly both of these films, The Humbling and Manglehorn, are trying to get Al Pacino back into this more prestigious actor role. Do you know, do you know or could the intern there out today so they're not going to be able to yeah. do you know who did write it just no I don't not huh. offhand yeah so I don't know if it's based off a book I don't know if there's something other story adapted or what but um, it both of these films sound and look that they could be interesting and it's the kind of films that Al Pacino hasn't really taken on in a really long time well right I mean the fact Manglehorn I'm going to see it anyway because I'm a big fan of David Gordon Green yeah. um, and for him to that's interesting too that He's following up. He came out with Joe, mm-hmm. which had, you know, Nicolas Cage, which, you know, people can comment on him reinventing his career. This being a different kind of movie because definitely wasn't like a Hollywood pleasing right. movie. Sure. And now his very next film sounds like this is the next one that he's going to be finished with. Like I believe it's already so. Been shown Something about I've heard David Gordon Green was working on two films this year. Okay. That were going to follow Joe. And this was one of them. I can't remember what the other one was. Okay. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, that's really interesting to have Nicolas Cage and Al Pacino back to back because yeah. he tends to do smaller films with usually smaller casts. And I, so that's, well, that's what I'm excited about. If, if yeah, Al Pacino yeah. is going to be in a smaller, more intimate film directed by David Gordon Green with Holly Hunter, who I like a lot oh, as well, yeah. that could be a really good film. And again, I think there again, look at this pairing of films. These could be the films that start to remind us Al Pacino is a really good actor. Mm-hmm. He just needs to have some good material to sign on for. Right. And I don't remember him doing a really small independent film in a really long time either. So I think this is good. So overall, that's three actors I kind of wanted to bring up that I think are all good. They all have really good potential. They haven't been doing the best work lately. 
So maybe this falls when we really start to see some of the work shine. Well, that's definitely some stuff to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our news, unless there's anything else we need to jump in. Otherwise, we can go right to our recommendations. I'm, I'm ready for recommendations. All right. Well, this is what part of our show where we try to recommend a film that either we've revisited lately or just remember having enjoyed and want to make sure everybody has a chance to check it out. And Chris, I know for a fact that both of our recommendations today are ones that people can get on iTunes right away. One of them, the one I think you're going to do, which I'm guessing based on some conversations we've had, uh, is fairly new. The other one came out earlier this year, the one I'm going to talk about. Okay. Let me go and get mine out of the way because really mine's a little bit of a cheat. You've already mentioned it as a recommendation in a previous episode. Oh, okay. I am just here to reaffirm that recommendation. <laughs> you um, made a good recommendation. That's right. I am here to validate your opinion on this. Uh, now, the film, now you see me, not as good of a recommendation according <laughs> no, to No, I didn't give that one. I, <laughs> I wasn't there to echo that one, but this one I will absolutely wholeheartedly endorse. Okay. Uh, short-term 12. Uh, I saw Short-Term 12 just recently. Uh, wow. That right now is ranking in one of my favorite films of the year. Okay. Um, it's a, you know, for those of you who didn't hear the previous episodes where we talked about it, uh, you follow a, the supervising staff of a residential treatment facility for youth. Uh, Brie Larson stars as one of the lead staff. She's in a relationship with one of her coworkers, but she's got some real demons of her own that she's wrestling with, as well as trying to care for these troubled or disadvantaged kids at the same time. Uh, the film was directed by Destin Critton, who I understand reading up on it was actually a former employee of a treatment facility himself. So he was kind of writing this from a his own experiences, which it's very obvious. It's very real. I, I think I really felt like I was actually in one of these facilities and the characters were so authentic. Even the kids acting was really spot on. I thought just everything worked top to bottom. Um, yeah, there again, Brie Larson, I think is an amazing actress and I'm really excited to see her do other things. I know she had a supporting role in the spectacular now, which she was really good in. Um, I've seen her in community, the TV show. Okay. She had a really small part for like three or four episodes, but even that she was funny. She hmm. was good in that. She's got the comic chops, but obviously in this film we see a very dramatic side too. See, I've I've only seen her, I think, in Spectacular Now and this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be curious. That's cool to know that she has like a comedic side. That's she was in Twenty One Jump Street. Okay. I think she was the uh, Jonah Hill uh, girl that he liked. Okay, not yeah. twenty one or twenty two. I think twenty one. Twenty one. Okay. Yeah, the first one. Okay. Um, so she's been doing some work for a while, but this was really her big starring role, and I mean, I tell you, it works. Hmm. Uh, even her boyfriend, played by John Gallagher, is also great. I really enjoyed the scenes of the two of them together sure. having dialogue because it was authentic. It's how a relationship couple would react to these situations. She's wrestling with things. She's having a hard time opening him up to him. He's worried, but also frustrated by that. They play off each other extremely well. I really bought every scene of dialogue I had between the two of them. So I really, really do like this film. I wish I had just an extra five minutes because I think the ending was a little felt a little tacked on and forced. Hmm. But other than that, okay. that's my only complaint of the film. There's one character that we follow a little bit in the film that goes through something traumatic late in the film and it's followed up on in a very kind of buttoned on way in the ending. And I, I, I wish I had a little more of that okay. to really feel like I got the ending I needed from his, his subplot. Otherwise though, great film, great film. So highly, highly recommended on iTunes for sure. Actually it's on Netflix. Okay. So if you're if you have a Netflix uh, online subscription, you can watch it for free right now. So it's ready to go. 
What about you? What have you got for us? Okay. Uh, I have a film that was actually, like you mentioned, it's just recently released, I think in late August, um, August 8th, according to IMDb. But it is available in iTunes. Um, You can rent it there. It is in some select theaters, um, like small art house theaters. But it's called The One I Love. Okay. And it stars Mark Duplass and uh, Elizabeth Moss. She, I guess her big claim to fame is being on Mad Men. That's correct. um, Which I've watched some of that. Um, Mark Duplass, we talked about Jeff Who Lives at Home, I think, on the show. Jeff Who Lives at Home, he was one of the writers and directors. Right. Uh, He was also in Safety Not Guaranteed. Correct. Uh, Uh, Which I recommended on one show. I think that's another film that you were kind of like, eh, Chris, recommendation on that one? Yes. But uh, I, I'm a big fan of Mark Duplass. I like his acting. I like his um, directing. You know, if, if he has an involvement in a movie, I'm generally interested in it. Okay. Um, does it have to do that maybe he reminds me of one of my cousins who I also like a lot? Possibly. Because he looks a lot like him. He's not involved in major movies. If he was, that would be cool. But I but, take um, <laughs> it you don't watch the TV show that he's on Is on it FX. The league? Yeah, the league. No, because it has to do with fantasy football. I, and I don't understand fantasy football. Yeah. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't even realize he was in that show until just the last few weeks when I saw a preview for it. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's Mark Duplass. What's he doing in that Is show? He's a he's one of oh, the yeah, main he's characters. One of the, he's one of the main guys. Okay. Yeah, yeah along with the Nick Kroll and a couple other guys. Is it so. in like second, third season of the show? Yes. Or? Okay. At least third, I think. Really? It's been around for a while. Huh. Yeah. And I wouldn't picture him as being like a sitcom regular type no. guy. So that's interesting. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it is on FX. So. It is on FX. Yes. FX, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So getting back, uh, the one I love, um, let me give you the description. Okay. It says, uh, here again off IMDb, struggling with a marriage on the brink of falling apart, a couple escapes for a weekend in pursuit of their better selves, only to discover an unusual dilemma that awaits them. Hmm. That's about as vague as you can get it. It is. And I'm not going to go into any more detail about it. Okay. Um, Suffice it to say, uh, the categories that IMDb lists this under are comedy, drama, romance. Okay. And I think you might want to add mind bender or hmm. those four things done by somebody like Alfred Hitchcock. Interesting. Um, so I think I'm not going to say a whole lot more because I think the less you know going into this movie, the more you'll appreciate it. Um, I really liked this movie. Mm-hmm. It is one of my favorite movies of the year. Wow. Okay. Um, and so when we get to the end of the year and we do our best of the year, this one's got a really good shot right now at being near the top of that list. I, I feel like it. And, um, I just, yeah, I, I can't wait for you. We had talked about maybe reviewing this movie for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that you will check it out, Alan, and maybe mention, we can talk off air. You can come back later and say like, no, Chris, it was interesting, but I think it fell flat. Well, here, <laughs> so. Here's what I'll do. Here's my commitment to you. Okay. And I will honor this commitment. Unlike the uh, viewing of ride along, which I never got to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you're going to watch it. Oh, I will eventually. It may yes. be your Christmas gift. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will watch the one I love. Okay. And what I'll do is, um, so we can talk about it. We, how about maybe at our next recording, we do a special after the fact spoiler edition to talk about it. Okay. You and I, after I've, I've seen it, this movie I want to talk about, Yeah. but it has to be spoiler because oh, sure. it's so hard to dance around. Well, let's things. do that. I will give you my quick reaction in the show next time. Just as a quick, did I like it or not like it thing. Gotcha. And then after the show's done, if you stick around through the ending little closing bit, then we'll do our spoiler edition where we can really dig into it. Because I am very curious to see this film. I would meant to see it this, this week and just had not had time to do it. But gotcha. by uh, our next episode recording, I will make sure we watch it. And, right. we'll, and we'll talk about it then. 
Cool. cool. So two films that we're both highly recommending from this year that, you know, again, are ones you, know, you may be hearing us talk about later in the year as we start to recap the year as a whole, Short Term 12 and The One I Love, both available on iTunes and even Short Term 12 is available on Netflix right now. Okay, so with that, I think we're done for the show, Chris. I we talked we about Boyhood. We talked about Frank. Both a little underwhelming. Uh, I will say both of them are somewhat disappointments for me and that I really went in with higher hopes for both of them. Boyhood was a much bigger disappointment for me. Frank came pretty close to my expectations. I wish it would have been a little better, but I still enjoyed it. And it sounded like you were kind of on the same page. You may be a little more upbeat on Boyhood than I was. I think I was. Yeah, yeah. and we, I think we were on the same page with Frank pretty much. So both films we still think are worth seeing just because they're unique. You know, we're always wanting to champion films that are doing something a little different than the mainstream films. And both of them are very unique in some, what they're trying to do. Absolutely, and, you know, it is September. We're yeah. in kind of the doldrums of the movie season before, you know, the Oscar season, October, November, get really ramped up. So if you're less than satisfied, what's available at the multiplex, I would definitely recommend seeking these films out yeah, yeah, because they're worthwhile. We covered some news, especially from the Toronto Film Festival. And then uh, we had our two recommendations, Short Term 12 and The One I Love. So with that, we're going to wrap up. Uh, if you've got anything you want to give us any feedback, thoughts, questions at all, you can reach us through our website. That's themesh.tv and look for Foot Candle Films. Also, if you're interested in just our film society, which is the kind of the inspiration for this show, the Foot Candle Film, film Society you can find out more about that at footcandle.org to see what our screenings are here in our Western North Carolina area and uh, also listen to some of the podcast episodes there as well. So with that, we're going to sign off. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.